Three people board this huge airplane, big jumbo jet, to fly to a distant location. And let me describe these three people because there's a quiz at the end of this I want you to answer for me. The first person is a flight engineer. As a matter of fact, the plane that he's getting on, he designed. As a matter of fact, he's a pilot himself. He knows all the physics of flight. And ironically, the pilot of this jumbo jet is a friend of his. And so as he sits down to buckle himself in to go on his flight, he's very confident. Very confident. Second person is a woman who's a business traveler. She's got a job twice a week, takes her on an airplane. She doesn't like the liftoffs and the set downs, but she's doing this so much, it's fairly routine. She sits into her seat, she puts the buckle on, she opens up a magazine. Here we go. Third person is scared to death of flying. As a matter of fact, he walked down the gangway like this, all the way through the doors, looked down this tube full of people relying on two jets, and he's in a cold sweat the whole time, and he sits down, he puts his buckle on, he makes it super tight, and he's hoping he passes out for this flight because he's scared to death. The question I have for you is, of those three people, who had real faith in the plane? Now you ponder that. I want to welcome everybody. We're glad you're all here. A lot of bright, smiling faces, some faces we have not seen in a while. But we're glad to see all of you, and I got to welcome those who are online. We're glad you're with us today, too. To our guests, we just take a second to say we're really glad you're with us. We hope you already feel like family. But to our guests, you got this... this uh, what we call worship guide when you walk through the door. We're gonna jump into and talk about God's word together here in just a little bit. And this sermon is outlined on the back here for you and for everybody here. To our guests, there's this connect card because it's so important. I call this paper gold because it's so important that you fill it out and you can drop it in a box here or go to our welcome center. But we really wanna reach out to you and see if there's any questions we can ask about Westview. My name is Brian, I'm our lead pastor. And uh, for those who are online, uh, you have this worship guide also pinned right there if you're on our website or it's on Facebook Live. For those of you on Facebook Live, I would love you to answer that question. Who do you feel had real faith to get on that plane? So let's go back to that question. The answer is, all of them had real faith to get on the plane. It took every one of them faith to commit to getting on that plane and trusting it would get them to their destination. All of them had real faith, but what they all had that was different was doubt and belief. All three of them had different levels of doubt and belief. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about faith and doubt and belief and to do that, let me catch you up just here a little bit. We are in the summer series called Encountering Jesus. And it follows the scriptures the days and weeks right after Easter. The first Easter when Jesus rose from the grave, the Christian church bursts out. And we're going over all these biblical accounts of Jesus encountering people during 40 days when he kept reappearing on earth to people because it was so life-changing to these people. And we're gonna take that very scripture and show how it's still life-changing to us today. We started, now I don't know if you know this, there's a progression. 
First week, we talked about encountering Jesus in the water. We are in the story in the Gospel of John. Disciples are on the boat, went back to their routine after Easter, and they weren't doing anything when it come to fishing until they encountered Jesus. And Jesus filled their nets, filled their lives. And we talked about that's how we encounter Jesus. It starts in the water, and we baptized seven that day. What an exciting day. Next week, we talked about encountering Jesus at the campfire. We picked right back up in that story where Peter swims to the shore, meets Jesus, and he encounters his three denials and three times that Jesus affirms him. And we shared that encountering Jesus at the campfire, Jesus in our life will meet us where we're at, and he'll remove anything from our heart that keeps us from him. He'll crucify, we said, anything in us that keeps us from him. So we meet him in the water, start our life. He'll take anything away that stops us from growing in him. And this week, we're going to talk about encountering Jesus at his side. At his side. And we're going to be talking about how we grow through doubt to faith. So this week's sermon will take us back to the gospel of, of John, back to chapter 20, if you want to turn there with me. We're going to be focusing on one of the disciples who named is Thomas. Now, for those of you who've been in the Bible a little bit, you'll know Thomas has an adjective normally put in front of his name. What is that adjective? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. How would you like to be a biblical character 2,000 years ago and everybody remembers you by an adjective? But it was unfair because Thomas didn't have anything that we don't have. And we'll talk about that today. Thomas was actually very brave, but he was very much like us. I would say instead of doubting Thomas, I should say we could call him just like us, Thomas, because he's just like you and me. Thomas was very bold, but he struggled with doubt and faith. And so we're going to jump into this story. So let me set the stage. We're going to back up actually to the very first Easter, the very first Easter Sunday. And we're going to be with all the disciples the evening of the very first Easter. Jesus in the morning was gone from the grave. And all this super craziness hit Jerusalem over the day and impacted the majority of the disciples, a small band of people that were still trying to hang on to what the heck is going on. And in this gospel account in John chapter 20, they are all gathered that night together in a room. And they're sharing everything that's going on during the day. Mary Magdalene, another Mary said, we went to the tomb this morning, Jesus wasn't there. We went running back, Peter and John says, yeah, we didn't believe him, so we went running, and Jesus wasn't there. And then Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they see these two guys in white, they're sharing the story, like these two guys in white, they're angelic beings. They said, Jesus isn't here, he's risen. What does that mean? He's risen. And so they're like going through this, and then if you pull all four, four gospel accounts together, you'll find out that Jesus appeared to not only Mary Magdalene that day, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to three other women, and he appeared to two men on the road to Emmaus. All these disciples we know are gathered in this room now, and they're all talking about how crazy this day is. What is going on? And how did Jesus' closest friends respond to everything that was happening on that first Easter day? They hid. They locked the doors and they hid. And let's pick that up in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. It says, That Sunday evening, it's the very first Easter, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Poof! He's there. Peace. Be with you, 
Jesus said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy because they had saw the Lord. So let's, let's break that down just a little bit. So yeah, the, the disciples were hiding. That's a big, crazy day. I think I would hide behind a locked door if I went through what they went through. They're fearing from their safety. They knew government uh, temple officials were out looking for them. They were huddled together. They were certainly confused. They were certainly scared. And they were finding comfort in each other, the small band that would change the world. And so let's look at this first sermon note together. How many apostles were doubters? The answer is all of them. All of them were doubters. Let's just not brand Thomas today. They all doubted. They were all doubters. The classic symptoms of doubt. They were uncertain, they lacked conviction, and they were scared of something. That is always behind doubt, is that we're uncertain, we don't have conviction on it, and there's normally a fear basis to it. They doubted the stories of the women. They doubted all the things that had happened during that day. They doubted, is this really Jesus? They don't know. They haven't put all the pieces quite yet together. They doubted so much, they locked the doors and they hid. And then Jesus appears, as the scripture says, in a room. Now, this is the risen Jesus. He is fully physical, perfect physicalness except he allows two, a number of scars to show on himself to prove a point. He is fully spiritual. This is the risen Lord. He doesn't need doors. He goes through doors. He appears wherever he wants to, as he has throughout the whole 40 days following the first Easter. He knows how scared they are, so he says, peace be with you. He actually says, shalom akim. It's like, I know you guys are scared. I know you're confused. I know you doubt. Peace be with you. He's putting peace into their hearts for this moment. And then he shows them his hands were the very, the scars were the very nails went through him and hung him to the cross. He shows them the spear and the scar, the spear that was thrust into his side. And he says, stop doubting. And the place went nuts with joy but somebody's missing from this group and it's Thomas he's not there Jesus appears to them tells them peace be with you has an encounter with them Jesus disappears as quick as he came and then Thomas it's still Easter night Thomas shows up walks in he can't walk through the doors right he has to knock they let him in and they're all going nuts Let's pick it up from verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they all told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. I put my fingers into him. And I placed my hand into the wound in his side. 
So I got to this part, I think, well, where was Thomas during all this? It's kind of like the biggest moment to cap off Easter, and Thomas is gone. And I thought, and the Bible doesn't tell us, but I would suspect when you walked with a guy for three years, and you believed in everything about his mission, and you watch him die, I think I would have retreated from everything too. What I do know about Thomas is he did two things, is he moved away from Jesus, and he moved away from community. He went the other direction for a period and God draws him back. He shows up that evening. Everybody else has seen him. Thomas hasn't. They say we have seen the Lord. The first Easter is ending on such a big note. What they're saying is he is risen. He is risen. Everybody's jacked except Thomas. They're jumping around up and down. Thomas is not. Look at our second note together. Thomas didn't doubt. He didn't believe. Thomas didn't say, I'll doubt this about Jesus unless I put my hands, my hands right there on a scar and if I get to his side. He says, I don't believe. And I think it's really important we ask this question. Thomas doesn't believe what? He believes in Jesus. He believes Jesus is the Messiah. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What he doesn't believe is that Jesus is risen. You see, resurrection, rising from the dead, is something new to everybody right now. Thomas has seen people come back from the dead, but those were resuscitations, not resurrections. So Thomas is saying, I don't believe that he has risen until I can touch. Just like you guys got to do. I can touch those two things. Then I'll believe. So let's pick it up from there. Back to verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Poof, there he is. Shalom, Kim. Peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas shouts, my Lord, and my God. I love this part. So first, looking through this scripture, eight days is a long time when your friends all get it and you don't. Eight days he had to wait while they're jumping up and down. Eight days Thomas waited. God works in our wait. And again, you can see we all don't quite get the picture yet because again we're behind locked doors. Everybody's hiding. And Jesus appears again, but this time for one purpose, and he walks across the room to that purpose and that person, and it's Thomas. The evidence that Thomas demanded eight days earlier were now right in front of him, and he got to do the same thing. He got to touch 
He got to see Jesus pull his robe and show the scar, the spear. But you notice that Thomas does not yell, he is risen. He yells, my Lord and my God. He is declaring in confession, it's so much bigger than risen. This is the God, the very Son of God. This is the Messiah. The whole picture comes together for him. So let's look at our next sermon note together. This one's kind of our, this is what we want to hang on today. Belief comes from being at Jesus' side. That's why we're, the title of the sermon is Encountering Jesus at His Side. Belief comes from being at Jesus' side. And Thomas in this moment is invited in to be right close to Jesus. He is invited in to touch. And the minute he touches, he believes now in the resurrection. But that's so much bigger for Thomas because now he believes that he has new life and he has eternal life. It's a new realization to him. And he believes more than Jesus has risen. He's standing before God himself. Jesus, Thomas moved from doubt to belief. But what's really cool is to see Thomas, what we don't see in the Bible here, is Tom, Thomas moved from belief to faith. What we do know through church tradition is that Thomas eventually around 50 AD would go to India and bring the good news to a continent nobody else was going to. And we know he was successful there. And we know by church tradition that Thomas, this is how brave he was. It, to go back, because I just, I just don't like doubting Thomas. He's no more doubting than we are. Thomas was the one when Jesus said way back when he said, hey, let's head back towards Jerusalem and Lazarus. This is back when Jesus was, was alive before the crucifixion. All the disciples said, let's do not go back to Jerusalem. They're all looking to kill us. And Thomas was this one who said, let's go and we'll die with him. Thomas was brave. So brave he went all the way to India. So brave he gave his life to share the good news. Tradition holds that he died by the spear. The same scar he touched on Jesus. He gave his life believing what he believed in. The most important aspect for us today is look at Thomas's life here and to learn from him. Thomas was not defined by doubt. He was defined by faith. And we too, this is going to hit all of us, we too struggle with doubt, belief, and faith. We all do, all throughout our life. And we're going to talk about that. But we can use doubt, just like Thomas did, to encounter Jesus at his side so our faith grows too. So to kind of describe these words, doubt, and there's a new word I want to throw at you here in just a minute, uh, faith and belief. And in many ways, a lot of these words are used interchangeably in scripture, but today they culturally have very clear meaning. So I, I made a diagram to show how, we, how Thomas's life can infect, infect us. Yeah, affect us, infect us. That's a good one too. Thomas's life can infect us. So we start with doubt. So again, what is doubt? Doubt is, like we talked about, it's, it's I'm not convicted. Uh, doubt is a state of mind. Doubt is up here. It's like, I don't quite get this. I don't understand this. I'm uncertain about it. And it's normally fear-based. It's so important to come back to that. Normally our doubts are based on fear. 
And what struggle with in our Christian culture today is that we believe doubt means I'm opposed to faith, and that's a lie. As a matter of fact, let me give you a quote from uh, Paul Tillich. He's a German theologian a while ago. He says, he says, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. What Paul Tillich is telling us is doubt is normal in our growth. So there's doubt. We all know doubt. We all, but it's here. It's here and it's stuck and it's a bad place to stay. So I'm introducing a new word, skepticism. This is a word we know in our culture today. Skepticism is actually, an, is actually a word of action. Skepticism is where I take my doubt and I move on it by asking questions. Skepticism says, okay, I'm struggling with this doubt, so I'm going after it. Skepticism means I am going to try and figure out, is that doubt real or not? Skepticism is a neutral zone. And you might say, well, no, it's not. Skepticism is like, I don't believe in your religion, so get away from me. That's cynicism. That's different. Cynicism is, I don't I have all these doubts, and I'm not listening Skepticism is, I have all these doubts and I'm wide open. Help me with my unbelief. And it's good. And when we wrestle with skepticism, when we ask the questions and get out there in our faith and wrestle with the questions and trust the Holy Spirit to work on our heart and trust community to come around us, we get into belief. Belief is now conviction. Belief is now understanding what I've been wrestling with. Belief is having confidence in my faith. But belief is a status of here and here. And we got to move out of belief to the last stage, which is faith. Faith is our belief in action. So you notice doubt, I'm stuck here. Skepticism moves me out. To belief, I'm back here. But I got it. But I don't really get it until my life shows it. And faith is our beliefs in action. Does everybody get this grip a little bit? Are we kind of with this? And this is exactly what Thomas is showing us, how we move from doubt to faith. It is normal. It is part of our spiritual journey. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be doing it every day of our life. And we grow every day in it to be more like Christ. So here's our fourth note together. Healthy skepticism grows true faith. Take a look at this. You notice we're not staying in doubt, right? Healthy skepticism grows true faith, moves me through belief, moves me to a life in action. So here it's so important I make these statements. It might rub some of us wrong a little bit because I'm not sure you heard this from the pulpit before, but it is okay to be skeptical. It is okay to have doubt. There's this verse in the Bible that I think every one of us in this room would understand. And we gotta go back to the story. It's Jesus, he's on earth way before he's crucified. He's in public ministry and he encounters this dad who loves his son and his son is possessed by an evil spirit and his son, it throws his son down into seizures, sometimes into the fire. His dad is anguishing, my son, my son, would you come heal my son? And, and, and Jesus is there and his dad says this. He says, have mercy on us, Jesus, and help us if you can. 
And Jesus says, if I can, he says, anything is possible if a person believes. And then this is in Mark chapter 9, 24, and this is a scripture here that I think all of us get is how the dad responded to what Jesus said. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now all of us get this one. How can I believe and have unbelief? I do believe in Jesus, but help me with my unbelief about everything about him. I do believe in the Trinity, but help me understand why that concept's so big. I do believe in the church. Help me to know what my role is. How do I grow here? How do I help me with my unbelief? All of us know this one. And so I, I, those of you who've been around me, maybe in some of the classes I teach, there's this, there's this favorite analogy I have about faith, about the journey of doubt to faith. And it's like climbing a mountain or climbing a big hill in the Flint Hills if you haven't got away too far from town. And when we climb this mountain of faith, right, we have a lot of doubt, and we have a lot of skepticism on the way, all these questions, and it's hard, and there's tension, and it creates work, and we're weaving up this mountain trying to believe this concept of who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, and we work on it, and work on it, and community people around us sharing all these things, and we finally get to the peak. We finally get to the peak of what we're trying to believe, and you know what it's like when you get on a peak, right? You can see forever, and it's like God reveals himself at that moment, and you see him in a way you've never seen him before. And you're like going, yes, this is it. I can see. And your heart just swells because it's worth every fight, every tension, every... But then what do you see in our Christian faith? You see a thousand more mountain ranges. And you start the next journey down. And you go up the next, now I'm certain or comfortable or, or I'm, I'm getting on this, but now I'm into the next thing and, I, and I'm growing and I'm growing. I get to the top of that one. It's like, yes, God shows himself again and I start down the next hill. And I think you pick up momentum because you start liking this mountaintop experience and you keep going through life like that. And the only way you get to the top of the mountain is through doubt and skepticism and wrestling and tension. I'm going to say a statement here that might rub us a little bit wrong too and that is that faith does not require certainty. Faith does not require 100% proof. I believe with certainty in Jesus. Do I 100% know him? No way. I'm still learning. I learned when I wrote this. And Hebrews 11, one backs this up a little bit. The scripture says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. Faith assumes we have room to grow, right? Faith assumes I got more mountains to climb. Faith assumes that we aren't certain about everything, but every time we go through a mountain range, every time we crest, we become more confident, we become certain about some things, but every time I become certain about something else, it opens up this huge thing that I gotta start all over again, and I'm completely cool with that. So let's go back to this word skeptic. Here's a small list I created that I thought being a skeptic is good. I really want to encourage us all to be skeptics. It's okay. Here's the reason why it's good to be a skeptic. It's good to be a skeptic because of one, we're surrounded by fake news. You need to be a skeptic. I'm trying to find news channels that I can trust somewhat to try and get a neutral response to. But most news channels are severely biased. And fake news is everywhere. Social media is full of fake news. 
You need to be a skeptic. We all need to be a skeptic because of we're surrounded by fake news. Second reason, we cannot grow in faith without tension. You need to be a skeptic because your faith will only grow. I, sometimes we get this false impression that when I become a believer that God takes this 12 gigabyte hard drive and just puts it in our head and we know faith. And that's not how it works. We start on a journey and he reveals himself along the way and we grow. So we need to have that tension and it comes through skepticism and asking questions is how we grow. Third reason, we must own what we believe. So young kids, youth in college, let me aim at you specifically. For those of you who had the blessing of growing up in church and listening to God's word in community, you've largely been given your faith to you. It is shaped somewhat, but one day you will leave the nest and the whole world will surround you. You will go to college and you will get these classes called philosophy and things that will come and attack or have a whole different angle than everything you grew up to believe in. And the struggle and the tension you're going to have is that I do not own that. And now I'm being tested to own everything I believe. And you will have to make the decision. That's why the psalm says, raise your child in the ways of the Lord. So when they get older, they will not stray far from it. It's assuming we're going to stray, that we're going to be questions. There's going to be, you've got to own this, and the only way you can do that is through skepticism. A tip for all of us today for Christians, when it comes to, we fully expect every one of us here is a disciple and that we're discipling somebody else. That is the, the goal of why I'm a disciple is to share the good news with somebody else and watch them grow. So to do that and do it as a church well, we have to believe this, that when it comes to believers, newer believers and non-believers, it's okay to doubt and be skeptical. Please allow them to do that. Do not shut them down. Do not say this. You just have to believe. That's the worst instruction I think we could ever give. Instead of, tell me what you're wrestling with and let me help you along the way. And trust that I don't have to give them all the right answers. There's a Holy Spirit that does a lot of work. It's not relying on me. And the second way is when we're teaching, when we're discipling others, is that I'm really asking you to welcome doubt and skepticism. Welcome it. I love teaching that, hey, it's safe. Push back. It's okay. I want to hear you push back. It tells me you're wrestling with it and you're really growing with it. Let people know and let yourself, give yourself the grace it's okay to doubt and be skeptical. Now, all this said, it's very important I point this out, that dark, doubt and skepticism have a dark side. Doubt and skepticism have a dark side. Skepticism and doubt can move us away from Jesus. To give you an idea, if I go into college or I go hang out with some friends who aren't Christian and I read these books and I get these opinions from other people um, and then all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm in a crisis of faith on everything my parents gave to me and I'm wrestling with, I really own that and if I doubt and I start moving away from Jesus and not challenging everything I'm hearing against everything I grew up with or this very Bible or with prayer or with community, this is a bad place to be to wrestle with doubt on my own, to get a, a countering opinion and not go back to the word and check it, balance it, to not bring it back to community and wrestle with it together, to stay in that doubt is a really bad place to be. 
And Thomas shows us this. His skepticism draws him towards Jesus. Make sure, listen to me, make sure our doubt and skepticism does not draw us away from Jesus. That is a bad place to be. Every time the world throws something at us, we need to re-challenge it with the Bible and community and test it and wrestle with it and then own it. We need to do what Thomas did with skepticism, and that's our next sermon note. Skepticism will draw us close to Jesus' side. Healthy skepticism will draw us closer to him. It's the only direction we should be going. So close, so close that I can get right up to his side. So close that I can touch his hands. So close I can see that spear wound in his side. So close I yell, my Lord and my God. It's a really blessed place to be. And so let me, let's, there's one more scripture verse in this chapter 20 that I want to leave you with. It's the last thing that Jesus said to Thomas at this moment. Starting in verse 29. It says, then Jesus told Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Jesus knew we'd be reading this today. Thomas, you believe, because you're right there. And we're like going, yeah, I could believe in Jesus even more if I was standing with Thomas, if God would just made me 2,000 years older and I could hang out there and I got to touch his hand and I got to touch his side. I mean, Thomas, he's such a lucky duck. He got to do this and I didn't. But let me tell you, you are so much more of a lucky duck than Thomas. For there's two things that Thomas did not have at this moment that you and I have. One is the entire New Testament that we got to see in God's word everything that happened in Jesus' life and everything as the Christian church started and how it all finalized and brought together the entire Bible. Thomas did not have that. And at that moment, Thomas was missing something. He got it later, but you and I have today and that is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. When Jesus left, we'll talk about this more next week, the Holy Spirit came he had to get close to touch Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Jesus inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. We do not have to go very far to touch his hands and touch his side. We are the lucky ducks. So I want to finish with this quote. It's from another theologian named Frederick Buchner. Doubts are like ants in the pants of faith. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> they keep it awake and moving. Let us take our doubt today and let's wrestle with it in skepticism and let us shape our belief and then all of us go out this door in faith and allow the Holy Spirit to change the world through us. Amen? So I want to talk about offering really quick. Offering is a time where we, it's a time of worship where we give back to God as much as he, I mean, just going through the story, we got Thomas, we got all these things that God gives us every day. And it's our way of giving back. As a reminder, if you want to leave a financial gift today, there's our boxes at the back of the door. Those of you who are online, you can give financially through online. Uh, we encourage you to give uh, and fuel the mission of this church as we go and spread the good news. 
But even more importantly than that is that we give to God something that we really need to give before we leave here. And would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, this is a time of offering where we come to you. And Father, our, our biggest offering right now is our doubt that's not being moved on. Father, our offering to you is I'm gonna ask everybody in this room to bring up and everybody that's online to bring up one thing that they're doubting, one area that there is fear, one area there is certainty that keeps us away from you, takes us in the other direction from your son, takes us out of community. What is that area of fear and doubt? And I just want you to take a few seconds and write it down. Don't leave here with just a good word. Leave here changed. Now our prayers to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, empower us to be skeptical, to not accept that doubt and be trapped in our mind, to take us and look at the fear that holds us back and look to your word, to prayer, to community, to realize your promise, to know that we don't have 100% certainty. That's okay but skeptical enough we start stepping in the right direction towards Jesus. Jesus, reveal yourself to us. Show us your side. Bring us to your word. Bring us to talk to you today. We want to know you. We want to climb this mountain with you. We want to get to the top and we want to see. We believe. Help us with our unbelief. Holy Spirit, take a hold of this community. Help us walk with each other. Get rid of the doubt. Believe, bring the belief and grow our faith. Fire us up as we go out of here that we carry the good news of Jesus Christ, even though we don't understand him fully, but we want to know more. Holy Spirit, take this church. Change us, change the world. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a huge offering. Father, rise up your church, one that is not afraid to doubt and be skeptical, who want to live their faith like none other. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.